We've been thinking about parables and looking at the parables in Luke's gospel over these last many weeks. And uh, you remember, parables can be lots of different things. They can be riddles, they can be proverbs, maybe metaphors, but then the, the favorite of the Lord Jesus is the short story. Uh, stories that help clarify the message of the kingdom that Jesus is communicating to those who have ears to hear. You say, what does that mean? Everybody has ears. They're all listening to what Jesus is saying. But are they really understanding what Jesus is saying? And so as Jesus speaks in parables, there are some who understand, but he also speaks in parables because there are some who won't understand and aren't intended to understand as a form of, of judgment. Um, so we, we open our, our time in the parables in Luke with a parable that was found in all three of the Gospels. I've tried to focus on the unique parables uh, in Luke's Gospel. And so next week I'm going to end this little uh, series where we look at a parable that again is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. But this one is unique uh, to Luke this morning in Luke 18. Jesus has provided a lesson on prayer, being persistent and patient in prayer. And now he's going right after spiritual pride and self-righteousness among the Pharisees, among the disciples, uh, all those who hear his voice then and in this very moment as we turn to God's word together. So let's listen in to Jesus, Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the holy and enduring word of our God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you know what it is we need the most. And you are gracious to feed us and to teach us through your word. We thank you for the inspiration, authority of your word and that you've given us the ability to read it and to study it and to understand it. Lord, we need your help to do this. Come Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and our understanding to this word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We were making a call to an insurance company a little while back. I just wanted to clarify some of the language uh, in the policy. And when I called, no person actually answered. And so I got the uh, recording, which is typically like the elevator music, you know, that sort of puts you to sleep while you're waiting for someone to answer. Well, this time it was actually uh, air traffic controllers in the background. I think it was on the East Coast, somewhere in Baltimore, talking to airplanes, you know, and directing them. And I was actually kind of disappointed when someone actually picked up the phone to talk to me because it was pretty cool uh, to listen in on these controllers who were talking to the airplane you know, 30 to 50 miles away from the airport, um, telling them, you know, the vectors where they, the courses they needed to fly, what altitude to hold, and, and uh, what approach to expect. And, and 
the guy's flying, well, they have to listen very carefully because his controllers are talking quickly. There's a lot of traffic. Um, and especially if, you know, the weather is bad or, you know, a lot more traffic. Again, I only caught a, a fraction of what it is they were saying, but controllers will often give pilots instructions for a missed approach. Uh, if the weather is bad, if they can't... Um, meet the limitations of the airplane or the regulations in order to make a successful uh, landing. Um, so here's what you do in case you can't uh, make this approach. And if they miss these instructions, uh, things may not end well. Uh, they can burn fuel. They can, um, I guess, burn time uh, from the schedule. And in a worst-case scenario, people could, could get hurt in that situation. The pilot needs to be very attentive to missed approach instructions. And so now Jesus has started this proverb, or he, he started mentioning this, and he stated it before uh, in, proverb, or in chapter uh, 14, where he says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who exalts himself will be exalted. Um, or humbles himself will be exalted. So how does a comparison between a Pharisee and a tax collector bring clarity to this? Um, it's ultimately about who is declared right with God and who is not. Who is justified before God, uh, which is a big word, but it's a very big deal. Puritan pastor Thomas Watson, he said, Justification is the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. An error about justification is dangerous, like a defect in a foundation. So if we get justification wrong, not only do we miss the gospel, but the very foundation of our salvation begins to crumble. So the, the story here takes a dramatic twist because Jesus is saying it's not the one that you expect who is justified. It's not this upstanding Pharisee. It's the tax collector who is justified. He is the model here for faithful discipleship. So one approach leads to justification. The other does not. And these are approach instructions we simply cannot miss. Again, we're not, we're not talking about fuel here, lost time. But people get hurt in lots of different ways. Um, so we're going to look at each of these approaches and ask ourselves uh, just some important questions as we go. So the first is the approach of the Pharisee. Um, and, and for us, when we read Pharisee in the Gospels, when we read about Pharisees, we're pretty quick to think, oh, this is the bad guy. This is the bad guy. This is one we're not supposed to be like. Bad Pharisee. Um, they're always the one, you know, causing trouble. And, um, but for those who are originally listening to this parable... That was simply not the case. Uh, and, and some of them were Pharisees who were listening in. But, but for the others, the Pharisees are, are highly respected. Uh, these are the ones who are morally credible. They're the upstanding leaders in the community. If you wanted to be like someone, you wanted to be like the Pharisee. You wanted Pharisees as your friends. So they're not thinking, well, this guy's way out of line. Okay, they're thinking, how do I be like this guy? And, and model what it looks like to be a faithful Jewish citizen. Um, so in the in this story here, the Pharisee, he goes into the temple, he lifts his hands and prays to God. No, that's not what he does. He lifts his hands 
in praise to himself. Keeps his, keeps his distance from the unmentionable other guy. In fact, he keeps his distance from all men. Did you catch this and how his prayer reflects this? He prays for, for his own ears to hear. Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men, especially this lowly good-for-nothing tax collector. We don't hear any need for God in his prayer. Oh, and just in case the Lord has forgotten, he gives a couple of examples of his own righteousness. He fasts twice a week. It was usually Mondays and Thursdays, according to the rule of the Pharisees. And he gives all or gives tithes of all that he receives. And this is you know, probably well beyond the 10% number uh, that we have sort of etched in our brains. Um, and what he's saying here is probably true. I mean, he, his conduct, his obedience was to be, to be modeled after. It was exemplary. He, he was the one to watch if you were a Jew and you really wanted to obey God faithfully. I think it's interesting probably quite telling for us, that the two things he mentions, fasting and tithing, are things that the righteous are to do in secret. Mark 6 tells us this. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And a few verses later about fasting. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So is this Pharisee truly righteous? Or does he pray for uh, the praise of men, sort of stroke his own ego here? Because he truly believes that he's justified before God. I mean, here his hands are full of all these, these good deeds. Right living. And yet this, this self-righteous approach, it... It not only devalues others, it pushes them away. It pushes away the God that he presumes to be praying to. So then comes a tax collector. Says he entered the temple. I'm not sure how far he actually made it into the temple. Um, you know, I was wondering. I don't know if Jesus could have made a a greater contrast between two people here, and the Pharisees and the tax collector. Tax collectors were traitors. Okay, they were extortioners, they were cheats, they were despised by the Jews. I was trying to think of some example. I, I don't know how, what contrast we could make. Maybe the Pope in Rome to the prostitute in Vegas. You know, something like that type of contrast. Um, not even on the same playing field here. Um, and the approach that this tax collector takes is very different. Doesn't even lift up his eyes as he prays. He beats his chest out of guilt and, and shame before God. Because he knows. He knows that the, the conduct of this Pharisee, he knows how, how morally upstanding he is and that he has none of that. None of it. So he comes before God in prayer with, with empty hands, knowing he has nothing to offer um, for the sake of justice. You see, justice is not what the tax collector needs, he needs mercy. And ask for mercy. Think of how King David echoes this prayer, really the prayer of the tax collector in Psalm 51, when he says, Have mercy on me, O God, my sin is ever before me. 
before the holiness of God. Here's what the prophet Isaiah cries, Woe is me, I am undone. Then you have the Apostle Paul in the New Testament of sinners, I am the foremost. Picking up on the theme? So this is an approach of honesty and humility before God and a self-awareness that's so very different from the Pharisee. Tax collector doesn't make any comments in his prayer about the Pharisee, sees himself before God rightly, and it, it brings him to his knees in confession. Um, and to the amazement of everyone, I think, listening here, Jesus says it's this man, this tax collector, who is declared right with God. God has heard his prayer, and he is justified absolute dependence upon God who shows mercy. It's the only approach that will save. So God knows the heart. Only God in His mercy can justify the sinner. Only He can forgive and and remove His just wrath from the Pharisee, from the tax collector, from every one of you, and from me. We can't justify ourselves. Our best day, our best lifetime before Him doesn't move us one inch closer to his forgiveness or the hope of glory. God must act. God must forgive. He must justify. The very very power of this parable, it belongs to God. It's really not either of these two characters. The self-righteous Pharisee is only condemning himself while the tax collector recognizes his own uh, condemnation. So between God and the sinner, there must be mercy. And we see uh, how that appears here in his prayer at the end of verse 13. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this justification hinges on God's mercy. And the word that's used here for mercy uh, is found only one other time in the New Testament. And that's in Hebrews 2, verse 17. Where it says, Therefore he, is Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the, of the people. Propitiation is the word in verse 13. The NIV uses atonement in Hebrews 2. The wrath of God against sin must be moved away, must be averted. So that's what this tax collector is praying. God, propitiate me. Only, only you can remove your wrath against me, away from me, unto someone or something else. And boy, here's where the gospel comes. Here's where we can hear it. In the biblical story, it tells us that if the sinner, the tax collector, the Pharisee, you, me, if we do not die, then, then something else does for our sin. Old covenant, it was the animal substitute that died in the place of the sinner. Now Hebrews tells us that it's impossible for the blood of animal sacrifice to take away sin. It's only a perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice given by God Himself can avert His wrath. Can purge, propitiate the sin. And that sacrifice would be the death of the very one sharing this story. Only Christ the sacrificial Lamb of God, only in Him can there be justice. 
carrying that condemnation that we rightly deserve on our best day and our best lifetime. So now God the Father, the righteous judge, He looks upon us as innocent. He looks upon us as acquitted, robed in the righteousness of Jesus. So there's no amount of holiness, no amount of of moral character that's going to justify us before God. His grace alone through Christ alone. If that is where our faith alone rests, then we have nothing to boast of save Christ and what He has done. Nothing to boast of before God or before other people, before other, even before ourselves. Paul was big into this. I can't even boast of myself. So our, our boasting shows up when we measure ourselves against others or comparing ourselves, not to God, but with other people tax collector here compares himself to God and he's left undone. Speechless. But the Pharisee in all his devotion to God is looking around at others and he has a lot to say. It's here I think where we're really confronted in applying this. Um, I don't think for the most part that we are, are praying privately or publicly the words that this Pharisee is praying, right? And I don't hear us doing that very often. Lord, thank that I'm not like all these other church people. Um, look at all this church work that I've done, time I've spent, energy invested, all I've helped. Um, I don't think that's how we're praying, but I do think that attitude in our heart is there a lot of the time. Um, we're not looking to God and His desire for our holiness, but comparing ourselves with others and some standard that we've established and then we adjust accordingly. Um, and church family, we need to be mindful of this. Comparison kills. Comparison kills. Um, and we'll, we'll typically choose the area of comparison and then use that to justify ourselves. He goes there. Well, I don't typically go there. She says this when we're all together. I try to avoid saying those things. They, they, they approach, the family approaches this problem this way. We do that a little bit differently at our house. Um, it just goes on and on. And so we get to that point in our minds, we do this enough that we, we sound pretty good in our own minds, in our own hearts. We sound like we're good enough before God. I mean, this is the Pharisee. It's, it's the approach that we all make in our sin. We need to repent of this continually. I'm reading Dr. Uh, Jerem Bars, who's commenting on this passage. He says, We can be sure that we're moving away from Christ-like humility when we begin to measure ourselves against others. Comparison is what leads to this critical spirit, squelches any mercy toward others. Here's what God says through the prophet. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In the New Testament, we hear from Jesus, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We cannot do this. We will not show mercy if we are the ones holding the measuring rod and actually believe, even just the, the tiniest bit, that we have something to offer God. And this happens at both, both extent. Maybe life is going really well. Job's going well. Stable retirement. Classes seem to be going smoothly. Nobody's fighting in the family. It, it does happen. Um, 
The Lord seems to be answering prayer according to the ways that we've prayed and desired. We can start to presume upon God's grace. Well, of course it's happening like this. Um, Maybe we had this coming. But then the opposite is also true. Things are are really tough. Going through a difficult stretch, illness, loss of job, suffering. And then you come out on the other side and we can presume like we're sort of earning heaven a little bit. Um, So comparison kills, but the gospel kills comparison. The gospel, when we see through a gospel lens, when we value all people through the eyes of Christ, we see that it's only God who justifies, that our only boast is in Christ. We're always fighting this this pride and self-righteousness in our hearts. That starts to kill the comparison. Again, Professor uh, Bars, he says, pride takes a whole lifetime to die. So I hope we're beginning to see why you and I are recovering Pharisees until the Lord returns or calls us home. True humility, this outworking of the gospel is always remembering our need of God's mercy. That we're coming with empty hands that only Christ can fill on our behalf. So we fall at the feet of Jesus just as we first believe and that's where we stay. It's a posture of confession, repentance, being critical of ourselves before anyone else. I mean, that, that's a game changer. Changes you know, the way others will see us, how we respond to others. If a critical spirit is only pushing others away, a posture of confession, empty hands, will have the opposite effect. We really see this um, in the political arena. You know, if there's a, you know, a confirmation or a debate or something, an election, you know, candidates just sort of blasting each other. Um, making these comparisons, making criticisms. How long can you actually watch that? How long can you take that in? Typically not very long. It pushes, even those who are interested in the outcome of of this debate or confirmation or whatever it may be, even if they're curious about the process, you can't take that for very long. Um, I think this is is true. This is true for the church. If there's bickering or comparisons or criticism of others in the church or between churches, the watching world sort of hits the off button and says, I don't want any part of that. Humility before God, empty hands, nothing to offer. That will produce humility before others. Um, Think how Jesus always reserved his harshest criticism for the church. Church folk, those who are tempted to think that they have something to offer God. Um, and as, as we go deeper in the gospel and we see our desperate need of God's mercy, our need of His grace, then we begin to see and value others the way God does. It eats away at bitterness, it, it eats away at resentment. We don't have anything to boast of, but, but Christ crucified then our responses don't have to be so defensive, um, so critical. Because, because we're looking here first and we're, we're confessing, it moves us to a place of, of meekness. Um, so I'm thinking how, how we respond, what may be an appropriate response as we're, we're sitting in the gospel 
We want to be defensive. We want to lash out. Well, Brad, you shouldn't have done that. Ed, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, Tony, that was a bad idea. We hear these things. Maybe a gospel response would look like, well, yeah, I probably messed that up. Don't need to ask for forgiveness. Um, or if we, if we go a little farther, well, if that's as bad as it gets, I'm, I'm a real mess, but you haven't seen, you know, maybe there's the, the closer I look, the messier it gets. God help me in this. Um, and he does. He meets us. He helps us in the Lord Jesus. When we see the worthiness of Christ and our own unworthiness, that's what humbles us. It allows us to respond that way. That's where the only motivation to do that will come. That's the consequence of of knowing Christ. And if we know Him in faith, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is His mercy. Greatness of God's mercy. This is the only approach that is going to save. Don't miss this transmission. We need to examine our hearts. Self-righteousness that's there. How we're comparing ourselves to others. That won't stand. It will not justify So church family, I hope we're hearing, I'll leave you with this, hope we're never getting over the gospel. We can never get over the gospel. We can never get over the grace of God in Christ because it is all we have. And to Him be the glory forever and ever. It's all we will ever need. Jesus is more than we could ever hope for or imagine. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this particular transmission and the instructions that you've given to us. That approach to, approach of humility and confession. Lord, it is here that we are justified before you, acknowledging that we come empty-handed with nothing to offer you but the sin that makes our salvation necessary, makes your grace so great. Uh, and your mercy so beautiful. Lord, work this truth into our hearts and minds today that we may be those who respond with humility and a repentant faith. Help us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.